You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club. Hello and welcome to this episode of the LTN Book Club podcast. Uh, tonight we are discussing Mistborn, The Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, there's a content warning for this episode and this book. Uh, the book discusses rape, violence, racism, and systemic oppression. Um, we will be discussing a lot of these in tonight's discussion. Uh, I am Madeline Turnipseed and joining me tonight we have Katie Tejador, John Campoverde. Aaron Hornby. Matt Williams. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Our uh, quote-unquote back-of-the-book description for uh, Mistborn the Final Empire is, For a thousand years, the ash fell and no flowers bloomed. For a thousand years, the Ska slaved in misery and lived in fear. For a thousand years, the Lord R- Ruler, the Sliver of Infinity, reigned with absolute power and ultimate terror, divinely invincible. Then, when hope was so long lost that not even its memory remained, a terribly scarred, heartbroken half-ska rediscovered it in the depths of the Lord Ruler's most hellish prison. Kelsier snapped and found it in himself the powers of the Mistborn. A brilliant thief and a natural leader, he turned his talents to the ultimate caper with the Lord Ruler himself as the mark. Kelsier recruited the underworld's elite, the smartest and most trustworthy allomancers, each of whom shares one of his many powers, and all of whom relish a high-stakes challenge. Only then does he reveal his ultimate dream, not just the greatest heist in history, but the downfall of the divine despot. But even with the best criminal crew ever assembled, Kel's plan looks more like the ultimate long shot, until luck brings a ragged girl named Vin into his life. Like him, she's a half-Scot orphan, but she's lived a much harsher life. Finn has learned to expect betrayal from everyone she meets and gotten it. She will have to learn to trust Kel um, if Kel is to help her master her powers, of which she never dreamed. This is published in 2006, and it was nominated for the 2006 Romantic Times Reviewer's Choice Best Book Award for an epic fantasy novel. Our mailbag for this book, um, Yeshua S. Horka, says, I love this book. It has a fantastic magic system. Two thumbs up. Cooper Landing, uh, this is the only Sanderson. Yeah, this is the only Sanderson set of novels I have read so far. But Kelsier is one of my favorite book characters, and the end of Mistborn is one of my favorite endings. Um, the series definitely has an awesome ending. Uh, Kristen Joy Wilkes, awesome. Our family of five has all read this and loved it, ages thirteen to forty-nine, and it was a hit with everyone. Uh, Elizabeth Ruffner Garn, uh, very similar. Oh, I love this book, and then four exclamation points. <laughs> uh pa shot on discord um i read this a while back but it's definitely been a while i really enjoyed the mistborn books more than the current ones he sanderson is writing i just can't force myself to get into those mm. and then uh three maker on discord also says with any sanderson book the plan as presented by the characters is never the plan that actually happens metal burning is a well thought out system that plays its way into other magics in sanderson's universe 
I do love these characters, though. They are true to their strengths and dysfunction. In general, I love me a good heist story, and the grifting was amazing. So if we were going to recommend this book to someone, um, what about it would you recommend to them? Uh, who would like this book? Fantasy readers, people who love a really in-depth world-building experience because Sanderson does all the world-building. <laughs> um, yeah, so if, if you really... And also, I guess, um, very vibrant characters, I would say. Um, so if you like a lot of... A lot of magic and world building where the characters really feel like they're a part of the world. You'd mm-hmm. like the book. I would also say people who want to get their money's worth out of an audible credit because, <laughs> I mean, I was thrilled. I was so excited when I downloaded it and it was 24 hours long. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. And, it, and then also it's 24 hours, but I actually wanted to hear the whole thing. Like I... I wanted to keep going back to that book and, and yeah, probably the characters and the world building. Um, I felt very immersed in it the whole time. And if you're a fan of like the gentleman thief genre or like subgenre within fantasy heist, like this is definitely a book that you'll like. Um, it's not as prevalent in the rest of the series, but this one in particular has a very much that, gentleman thief um aspect to it so i don't know what i can add to that um (laughs) i think it's a i mean i would recommend it for anyone who wants to start a very good series and wants to enjoy a very solid base very solid foundation for that building Mm. what about the romance do we recommend it for people who are into romances (laughs) no Mm, no. i would I expected more there, you guys. He really. Aaron, didn't you see Fabio on the cover? I mean, this is romance. I didn't all see the, way. the cover. Oh, that's right. You had the audio book. Which yeah. cover? Like, yeah, I, I have the older cover, so <laughs> it, so it only covers. has been on the front. <laughs> the tenth anniversary cover. It's got Fabio, the golden hair, everything. It's oh great. nope, I don't have. I don't have that one. No that way. Who is that supposed to be? Kelsier. <laughs> Kelsey is a blonde. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's not how I picture him. I'm going to have to go look at that cover. I don't know. He's Lady Shan, actually. That makes more sense. The the book describes Kelsey as tall and blonde. That fits Mm -hmm. Fabio to a T. Yeah, that's true. And he he was handsome, supposedly, right? Yeah. And handsome. Yeah. Charismatic, for sure. Um. So, you know, par for the course for this podcast, there is discussion of social and civil uprising um, and unrest in this book. So if you are interested in like a a perspective of social justice um, that is not necessarily like rooted in like the disparity that is currently playing out in our society, but is very similar to it and can mirror that from all the way in 2006. Um, this is a book for you. And then if you're like me, um, I really love Sanderson. <laughs> it's, just, I, it's fine. I talk about it like every podcast. Understatement of the century. <laughs> um, definitely a fanboy over here. But part of that is because he has such a 
beautiful love for religions. Um, and so if you are thinking of like, if you're like me and I have my master's of theology and I'm definitely into the role of religion in society, this book is for you. I won't go into more of that until we hit the spoiler zone. But if you are looking for a good fantasy book that has, it has religion adjacent, this is the, this is it. This is what I would definitely recommend. So as John said, uh, there are a ton of themes of uh, social justice and civil unrest uh, in this book. And uh, this was my reread of uh, mm-hmm. Miss Born. I had read it um, a few years back. Um, and one of the things that struck me on my reread was I didn't realize how much rape uh, plays a part in this book, um, particularly in the first, like maybe fifth um, of the book. It's, it's mentioned and alluded to and, um, kind of in a veiled way um, pretty often. It's commonplace. Like it's, it's an everyday thing. And, not, well, and, to, me, and to me, this, the, you know, the rape's bad enough, but it's a mandatory rape and murder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that is just like, yeah, it, it's like raw. A lot of, because a lot of, and a lot of times when you see that kind of, um, uh, upper class, you know, domination, rape, raping the lower class kind of thing. It doesn't nor it doesn't normally matter if they have children. Um, like it's not that big a deal. It just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, these like half breeds kind of thing are are a normal thing in mo- like e- even in most fantasies. But with this, because of the pa- like the alimency, the powers, they don't want the lower class to have that. Because things like an uprising. Um, so it's just interesting that they are so ingrained in the we can't share this power that, the, like, it, obviously they still see them as kind of, kind of human beings, like, or they wouldn't go and rape them, essentially. Like, they're still attracted to them, but at the same time, it's like they're so disposable that they'll just kill them right after it's yeah it like adds another layer of horror to that where it's like you really don't want to get chosen because it's not a favor thing it's it's like awful to even catch the eye of someone in the higher um standing well in that way i think it's maybe more honest yeah um you know like yeah, because it 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 can never be interpreted as a favor thing. Oh and I no, think his yeah. writing, and, and I know you didn't mean that, but like, and I think in his writing, I think that like choosing to make it the 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 brutal ending to a brutal act is is very purposeful because there is no way like there's no way to write anything else other than that into it. Um, because I mean, yeah. in some ways, like. A lot of times rape is that kind of almost, it feels for a victim, like almost that death in a, in a way, like, yeah, um, it, like something does die inside of you, um, when that happens. And so, I mean, he just, 
makes that more obvious, which I, it's horrifying, but like, I kind of appreciate the fact that he writes it in to be recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think he intentionally wants to horrify you as much yes. as he can. And he wants to make there no room for any excuse, um, no room for anyone to be anything but horrified by that. Um, mm-hmm. And especially because that is like the start of the book. Like they just throw you straight into that. It's very intentional because immediately you hate these people. Like you, you, you can't right. see how that can be a society that yeah. is allowed to operate that way. Um yeah, well, and, and then it's later, interesting. I, oh, sorry, no, you're fine. Uh, it, it's interesting, like when you get when you get to Vin asking Ellen about it, like, mm-hmm. has he ever done that? And he's like, once, but I had no idea what happened afterwards. Like, it was my dad, and the fact that he had never done it since. It's kind of that it horrified him so much that, and it's like that's the normal <laughs> response to that. <laughs> And yeah. even, even, but at the same time, you're like, you're so sheltered that you didn't even know that happens. Like, right. That, yeah, I, that was a hard sell for me. <laughs> that part of the book that like, that you could not know that that happens. That, there's that a you lot of in that society and blind. Right. And, and, and I was going to like, similarly, I was going to say later in the book, they also discuss like, um, the upper class people wondering, like, are are Scott people just like us? Are they intelligent? Are they, do they feel like us? And I'm thinking, I just, I guess, I don't buy that somebody could be so blinded to the humanity of another um, individual while at the same time allowing for rape and murder of those individuals because you know how powerful their children are. You know, like um, that part. I was like, I guess I don't buy that. Like that the upper class could could well not know what's interesting that. what's interesting is that's actually kind of how our society works in a way like people are like oh uh those who commit genocide um they are they don't see them as human beings but it's like if that were the case they wouldn't rape them cuz you don't rape non-humans like it's not a common thing to do if you're at war. Like you still see their humanity. It's just, they choose to have that attitude. It's not that they don't see them as human. It's that they're, they believe they're more dot, like they're a more dominant. They believe that they're entitled to take whatever they want. Mm -hmm. They believe that they're entitled to Mm -hmm. do whatever they want. And and it's not necessarily violence. Mm -hmm. And, and like, they kind of, the whole philosophizing about are they human, are they not, or do they seem like us or not, it's just, it's a, it's almost that trying to justify what can't be justified and explain their entitled, entitled way of thinking. Um, yeah, John, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, we've seen this play out in American society mm-hmm. with the slave trade. And how, like, you know, white plantation owners would rape and abuse and murder their slaves and then deny them personhood at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like this is something that is completely out of, like, the realm of possibility within humanity as a whole. Um, I'm just – I honestly, as we sit here, as I sat there and, like, you know, having read this after um, learning more about – 
critical race theory and going through the discussions that have, we've been dealing with um, over the last few years and last summer, um, I was just surprised that Brandon Sanderson kind of touched on it in 2006 when he's, you know, a very, very white man um, living out in Utah. <laughs> um, so like, I don't know. It's just, it was so surprising to me to see that happen, but I do believe that Ellen's naivete of or in this entire book is just so like mm-hmm. overblown. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's, I think the part that caught me off guard. Cause like, I know that people are capable of great evil and of justifying their actions and of dehumanizing other people. It caught me off guard that Ellen was so like naive about, are, are they just like us? I was like, come really, man. <laughs> like, I guess see, I'm not, so that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. No, me either. It's like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a black man who spent many years in, in uh, predominantly white institutions. And when you've got people who you're seeing who they've never seen anybody black except for on TV, and uh-huh. they ask you know, just you know the ridiculous, goofy, cultural questions. They want to touch your hair. They want to, you know, because because it's just like they like like it's you know a foreign object to them. And they're you know they a lot of them still believe you know ridiculous things and excuses about why you know you know black people are they can jump higher and run faster because they have you know, extra fast twitch muscle fiber in their calves and like, and just, you know, insanity, things like that. And mm-hmm. and so I, I read that and I'm like, yeah, I've met people like that. Like, that's not, that's not a stretch at all. So and it I, just sounds to you like he is so isolated from the Scott cast that like he has no contact with them whatsoever. So that feels. Well, he doesn't. Likely. I mean, him. he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes that, sense. That's though, considering he's supposed to. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. the heir of a of a high house, mm-hmm. very powerful high house, um, mm-hmm. and so like he's yeah he, like he wouldn't have skull, a reason to yeah the only yeah, skull he I would guess ever I was interact so, with at that point slaves. in the book I think I felt so immersed in the world and like the whole world was the Scott cast at that point like yeah you really mm-hmm. hadn't been exposed to the noble people yet and so I was like how could you live in that world and not see and experience like the ska people are the ones that are crafting and creating and building and like you know running all these businesses how could you not see their intelligence and like so even if you're living as a nobleman if the whole world is run by the ska how could you not know that they're intelligent and thoughtful and creative? So it, it caught me off guard because I didn't see him as being isolated from them, but I could see what you're saying. Like if he's, if he's legit, like isolated as a nobleman that has think, no contact think, with his people. Yeah. Think of it like this, Aaron. Think, imagine that mm-hmm. you, um, to, to use what John mentioned as far as you know, slavery, imagine that you're the daughter of, you know, a powerful plantation owner and, mm-hmm. Your your life is just, you know, you're you're being taken care of constantly. You really don't have any interaction with, you know, with the slaves that are owned, except for the couple that are in the house that may, maybe served you dinner and such. Um, while your while the people in charge, they know, you know, who's cultivating, who's coming up with things. You know, Eli. You know, you're Eli Whitney's daughter. Eli Whitney's slave invested cotton gin 
he takes credit for, but to you in your mind and from your level of exposure, you think that that slave isn't Mm -hmm. smart enough to, you know, to button his shirt, let alone create a machine. Mm. It's it's just the, the, it's the exposure. So let me, so here's two questions that, that come to mind because of that. So do you think then that he writes him as naively protected, you know, Okay. Two questions. First, like, is that excusable for Eli Whitney's daughter or for the daughter of a plantation owner? Is that excusable in any way to dehumanize another person because you've just been trained to dehumanize them and protected from contact with them? It's no, but it no. doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. Right. Right. But, yeah. So, yeah, but that would be my answer too. But, no, but, right. Well, it, it, so then what, my, but my second question, because- well, my second question is because I almost feel like he writes that in, in order to give you a better view of Ellen, like to, to give you a way of being like, well, this guy's sheltered and he doesn't know. And now that he's exposed, he's going to open his eyes. So it was kind of understandable before, but now he gets it. And I well, just wondered, I guess that's all. Okay. Because but Ellen, that's Ellen something was- that you, I hear in real life all the time. They're like, well, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know that. Or, you know, people use ignorance as an excuse all the time. So do you, but do you feel like that ignorance is supposed to be something that makes our hearts like lean more toward Ellen, you know, like. Yeah. You're supposed to not feel vilify him as much because, you know, poor naive Ellen. Right. Well, Ellen is also the dude who was going to read every book that was written on the ska, but never actually speak to one in <laughs> mm-hmm. his house. So I feel like honestly, that gives me more idea about who Ellen is as a person. Well, yeah. Than- I mean, yeah. Oh, Ellen is a person that says they have black friends, but a black person has never been to their house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds. Yeah, or has a has a degree has a degree in African American studies from an all white university. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ouch. From BYU. Yeah, from BYU. Fine. Yeah, yeah. I think that was my perspective on him. Was like it just seems not viable because it seems like it's written there to make us excuse who he is, excuse what he's a part of mm-hmm. yeah. as understandable because, oh, you just didn't know, you just weren't exposed. But right, like Madeline said, like, well, he's reading up on it, but he hasn't done the research himself, you know? Yeah. Uh, so well, I don't know. That was, It was just then, a sticking point for me. I've harped on it too much, but. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, and it, that's what it does for Vin, right? Like it makes mm-hmm. Vin open up to him more mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he is – because she's around so many noble men and women that are so like just indifferent and hating, like so awful to the ska population that seeing one of them who's like, Oh, maybe ska are real people. Maybe, Uh you know, like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't treat them this way. I don't know. It's just this philosophical exercise for me. And she's like, Oh my gosh, this person gets it. Like he needs to be a part of our team and he needs to be like, he can be a, he can be a resource for us. And Kelsey is like, no, like he's still part of the noble class. Like he's, he, I mean, he, there's, well, and Dachshund too. Like Dachshund was just like, (laughs) um, (laughs) No, the noble right. people are like the whole system is awful. Now, given they do kind of come around to Ellen towards the end, right? Like Kelsey mm-hmm. tries to save his life before he dies. But like, I think that's more for Vin's sake than it is for Ellen's. Yeah. yeah like, because yeah. 
Vin loves Ellen, and so therefore Kelsier protects him out of Vin's yep. love for him, right. not because Ellen could be any any vital hope or resource to the cause. Ellen, yeah, Ellen, Ellen tries to give vibe that he's an ally, but he's not. Yeah, I, he's a, he's, I he's, he claims that he's sympathetic, and maybe he's sympathetic, but there's zero real action to to those sympathetic thoughts he's the he's the moderate in the dr king quote <laughs> i feel like yeah. i yeah. feel like kelsier saved ellen at the end of uh at the end of this book because i need to not do this because i need to not attribute intention but i think sanderson knew what he was going to do with ellen for the rest of the series oh yeah and yeah. so he was like okay we need to save there's a lot of growth in Ellen because I wanted to read that as Sanderson having hope in people. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to read that as Sanderson's belief that people can grow and can learn and can change. I feel like the beginning of that was really not viable and really like very superficial and surface. And I didn't like how, what what we just discussed. I didn't like that, but I wanted to read it as something that he was trying to do that would give us hope for people to legitimately change and legitimately become allies and legitimately understand the plight of other people and repent of what they had been a part of before. So I'm hopeful for that. I haven't read the other books though, so I don't know where he's going. I think I think I can I can say that I feel like I agree with Madeline. Like there's there's some part of Sanderson that knows what he wants to do with Ellen that you'll see in the future books. Um, and he definitely um, does kind of investigate this further in the sense of like, can people change? Can people not change? What, what do we need in order to better our society? Um, and so it, it is a conversation that keeps going throughout the, throughout the series. But I'm not going to talk about that more because I could spoil. I'm going to save it for <laughs> the off I can't episode. Add to it. Because I look at Ellen, he's Ellen is the um, he's the rebellious hippie who you know picked up a book one day about people that, but but he from a rich family. He picked up a book about marginalized people um, that he wasn't supposed to read, and you know he decided to you know thumb his nose at his you know family and authority, and you know, he just wants to be a rebel, but not really a committed one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, which I think a lot of people tend to be at some point and then you can, and then they get tested with, I don't know, a vicious mob overthrowing the entire society that has, that they've benefited from. Um, and they have to learn how to either, you know, own up for to their words or kind of fade into the distance and be the person we, we knew like they were going to be. So it, well, I don't know. It keeps going. Oh gosh, we're <laughs> half an hour in and we've only hit one. Point. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, we talked about so much. Well, well let me well, let, let me let me continue with a different with a different uh, perspective here. So, my per, I had an, a perspective that really jumped out to me in this book, and that was the whole fact that this you know half of this is a heist, obviously because of the you know, the value of the ATM. I don't know how y'all pronounce it in my head, but that's how I pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, like that. Um, yeah, you're good. Okay, cool. And then obviously this is a, this is a rebellion. This is a slave rebellion. So 
um, befitting that, you know, we're recording this in February. God knows when anyone will hear it. Um, <laughs> we'll record this in February. So it is Black History Month. So uh, this really triggered thoughts of me uh, for things like the Nat Turner Rebellion. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Nat Turner Rebellion, um, as well as the Haitian Revolution. And mm. a lot of parallels between, uh, you know, especially Kelsier. Uh, and as the leader, and and Nat Turner, who led uh, <clears throat> the rebellion in in Virginia, which I encourage anybody who's interested in history to look up the uh, Nat Turner rebellion. Uh, so it really, it really struck home for me reading this um, when it came to you know the the uh, the passion that was behind uh, the motivation for not just Kelsier, but everyone in the crew, um, what it took and what it takes if you're trying to organize, you know, an, an uprising and how careful you have to be to be able to pull it off and to even have moderate success, let alone any any success at all. Uh, there's got to be, you know, trust involved and you have to do, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to do things that a lot of people don't want to do. And, uh, you know, Vin's, you know, feelings of, you know, having those conflicted feelings about Kelsey or, you know, killing Lords. Uh, and especially, you know, I remember call her conversation with Doxon where Doxon's like, man, he can kill the Lords. I will, he, he wants to kill. I don't care. Like these are not, you know, good people. And she was kind of revealing how, you know, she's like, well, I've danced with these people and ate with these people. They're not that bad. And he's like, no, 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 they, they're all that bad. And that's something that the Haitians and that Turner and, you know, American slaves had to deal with because there were times when they were going to do uprisings where they had to deal with some of those similar attitudes um, and, and, for, and you had to, remove those people to try to free themselves. One, one thing that um, came to mind when you were talking about <clears throat> the rebellions um, just in, in our nation's past, um, and they talk about faith. Uh, there's a quote that I put down. I can't remember exactly how it is, but when um, Cezab was talking about like, well, what is faith if you can't continue faith after a failure? Mm-hmm. Um and mm-hmm. there is a lot of tension in this book about whether or not this uprising will succeed and whether it that thing I just can't what is belief, what is faith if you don't continue it after failure. So like the concept of like, is it a failure if you have stood up to what is wrong? Is it a failure if you have convinced people that they shouldn't be marginalized, that they shouldn't be treated as subhuman? Like, it, and and even if your uprising doesn't doesn't succeed and you don't overthrow the Lord real ruler or kill him, is it a failure if you've convinced people that they are humans and they deserve to be humans and seen as humans? You know, um, so there is a lot of tension there about. You don't know if anything is going to succeed, but you're still cheering the whole time because you just want these people to view themselves as worth rising up for. There are a ton of uh, figures that Ben has to look up to um, Mm -hmm. within Kelsier's crew. 
Um, she has a whole bunch of people to learn her new magic powers from. Um, but probably the the one thing, if I have to just pick one, the one thing that I have a problem with in this book is that Vin has no women Mm-hmm. Support no at all, yeah, at all. Models, yeah. Uh, we have a, a named female character that comes in and cuts her hair, and that's the only scene she's in. Um, every other female character that's comes up continuously is either dead mm-hmm. or um, is one of the nobility that is someone you're not supposed to like. Um, so i I really wish that in this book that there had been more um, more female support for Vin because going back to how much rape is a part of this, it feels very specifically built to scare young women Mm -hmm. because something that's never mentioned in this book is uh, like any rape of men or of young boys at all. It's all focused on. And even, even that kind of like her mother um, and how she like, she's described as starting to hear voices and the reason, and that's why the reason she kills her younger sister Mm -hmm. and almost kills Vin. Like, It's that kind of that um, trope of women losing their mind after kind of being mistreated. Like they, that they're kind of unstable and weak and um, almost, I I know this is a bit much, but almost don't deserve to be almost a main supporting thing because they can't handle the pressure. Like Mm -hmm. it almost feels a little bit like that, like Mare's kind of in there to, she's the catalyst she, for Ke- Kelsier. Um, yes. Vin's mother is there as the catalyst for her being with her brother. Like, well, as it, a, this will happen to you if you don't be careful. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and he even uses it like that against her. And yeah. so it's always, and like, even the roles that the noble women play, like it's not ne- like, Shaw, is it Sean? Shan? Shan. 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 Um, mm. I mean, no one likes Shan. No, well, she, <laughs> but she's she's like the closest. She's the one. only powerful woman in the story. Exactly, because I mean, if you think, uh, what was the other one? The gossip. Chris. Y- yeah. Yeah. Cliss. Yeah. Um, she she works like her. Hers is the very undermining kind of gossip, you know, subtle art kind of thing, which again is kind of another trope of like, that's how women get their power. They're supposed to be underhanded and subtle and manipulative. Like, yeah. And I will say that Sanderson has done a lot better job. Oh, for sure. Yeah. More equal representation of women in his stories as his career has advanced. Um, But that would probably be my one. Mm-hmm. She with this. Well, and I, th- I think I was part say sorry. he is on the record for saying that he wishes he had made Ham's character a woman, um, mm-hmm. so that Vin would have a female character to look up to within the the crew, but also to show light on female thugs like Pewter Arms mm-hmm. and giving them screen time because they exist, but we just have this perception that all thugs are men because. That's all he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would have been awesome, honestly, <laughs> if he had made Ham a woman. <laughs> yeah, he's on he's on record of having said, like, yes, I realize the gender proportions within this novel are skewed and I could have done better. Um, but this was like well, his second big endeavor. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's he there's some forgiveness there. 
Oaks yeah. then? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I felt like also as he developed Ven's character, as she became more whole and more aware of herself and like who herself actually was, he wrote her more and more effeminate. And so like her hair grew longer. She started being able to wear it in different styles. She started feeling more comfortable in dresses. Mm -hmm. And so like it does clearly feel that he does have certain tropes in mind for his female characters. So I could see that. Um, But if this is one of his earlier books, I'm going to give him again, hope that he develops that a little bit. Cause I'm going to keep reading. He does. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Oh, well, I don't, I don't know. I haven't read the rest of the series, but I know like I've read some of his later books as far as um, one like different series that he's published and he does get a bit better about that. Well, even in the Reckoners, Aaron, right? Mm-hmm. He gives you a bit more of a female character in mm-hmm. Megan mm-hmm. than you see in Mistborn. Yes. So yes. Um, he has gotten better at it. Okay. I, I've yeah. noticed that so many authors, when the main characters are female, especially mm-hmm. if it's a, a male author, that a lot of the supporting characters ended up primarily being male because they're so focused on their female main character and you know, and trying to do justice by her that mm-hmm. other women can just get left off. No, yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, that's a very common thing in just all types of media like i mean (laughs) you have people complaining when there's a female male character if there's like one or two supporting female characters people are like there's too many women it's unrealistic and you're just like um have you looked around the world free free advice i'm like i don't get it i mean i see women not not all women, but I see a lot of women changing girlfriends every six months. So it's like, how are there not more women involved here? Like, there should be a small carousel. Free advice: If you want to write, do justice by your female main character, give her female friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably, else? and probably like a, a female mentor, mentor type person. Doesn't have to be her mother, but like maybe an aunt or a a boss. Everybody needs an auntie. Yeah, well, yeah, like an auntie type figure, honestly, because I who isn't I, dead because please. yes, no, no, one <laughs> that's alive and gives her like good. Vin has this like idealized advice. vision of Mare that she's mm-hmm. supposed to live up to, as you know, she's Mare and Kelsier's adopted daughter, even though Mare's dead, and he's always like, oh, I wish she was here. You were just like her, and I'm like. <sighs> Like, yeah. come on. But but John, uh, she guides her from the spirit world. <laughs> she really does. Anything bro. else? Anything else for social justice before we move on? I feel like we stick it to the man. Everything else. <laughs> stick it to the man. That's that's pretty much the uh, theme of a lot of our. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True to true to the podcast. Right. Yeah. Stick it to the man. Religion plays a huge, uh, a huge part in this in this book. Um, we'll start out with Sazed, um, everyone's favorite uncle character. Yeah. Um, Aaron, him. give us a give us a little short summary about what what Sazed is, what his role is basically in the book. Um, well, he definitely is. Sorry to put you on the spot. The wise, non-threatening 
guide. He's very safe and comforting. And, um, so she, she needs somebody to guide her and to protect her. And so he, um, plays the role of her servant who's always with her and present and watching out for her. Um, and he is, uh, a terrorist man whose role kind of develops throughout the book, but, um, primarily we find out that he saves information so it doesn't get lost. And so he just is a storehouse of specifically religions. And so throughout the book, we get to see that he's um, trying to get people to choose a religion, which I thought was just so interesting. <laughs> like he's not satisfied unless, I mean, not, not satisfied. I think he has some joy just in the discovery. Um, but like he, he wants people to find a religion that fits them and that they feel comfortable mm-hmm. with. Um, that matches their personality and their motivations. And so he's always introducing these super creative, interesting religions. I really liked the one, um, where he said, um, that there was this ancient religion where people believe there was a finite amount of bad luck for each person. And so whenever something Mm -hmm. terrible happened, they would feel relieved and and glad that that was out of the way because a little bit more of their bad luck was gone. And so they were on their way to good luck, um, which I feel like has a lot of flaws in that religion. Like <laughs> there's there's a lot of flaws we could put out there. I mean, like there are a lot of old people that are like still having bad luck, right? Like you could have bad luck on your deathbed. Right? <laughs> you can definitely disprove that theory, but just the idea of that religion was so creative and interesting and hopeful. And I thought, yeah, that, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I did enjoy that aspect of his character a lot. Well, and even Kelsey are just being, what religion do you have for me today? <laughs> right. right. It's just like a, it's a comforting, ex- like expected experience that he kind of provided like almost kind of like a touchstone as far as normalcy for the group. Mm-hmm. Or specifically Kelsier. Yes, but then you realize that Kelsier is just trying to figure out how he can turn his own persona into a religion so that he can galvanize the scum. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Which, okay, so like, let's be honest, like that mirrors the Nat Turner Rebellion too, right? Because Nat Turner was he, a firebrand preacher. He was a preacher. I mean, religion mm-hmm. is is part of how you know you can you we mo- like slaves be- became um mobilized and so much so that white plantation owners would try to cull the bible of passages that would talk about freedom and talk about liberation and there's a whole branch of theology that is based <laughs> in liberation <laughs> as yep. a result of its like importance in the history of the marginalized people of marginalized people and so like I don't know. I just thought it was brilliant. And I was reading through it again the second time. And I was like, oh my gosh, like Kelsey just drops all these hints every single time. He's like, yeah, you know, but how did they believe? Like, how did they keep it going? And it was just like, oh, he's just trying to make himself a, a messiah figure, which like, I mean, some people are like, I don't know if I agree. I, I don't know. It just felt weird. It was a little bit cringy to me at times. Like, I, I understood why he did it. Yeah, yeah, I, for know, sure. I didn't like it, but I I understood why. <laughs> oh you know. gosh! 
And the church is survivor. Oh, Lord. (laughs) We get there. We get there. Um, But, like, I watching Kelsier do certain things like I, I like like Matt said I get why he's doing it but at the same time like I feel like even our narration in the book is also kind of trying to set him up as mm-hmm. as a messiah figure not just Kelsier's actions in the in the narrative yeah um but yeah. at the same time Kelsier does a couple of things that mess up pretty badly and then doesn't learn from them we just get like plot progression like oh i probably shouldn't have tried to go and raid that one room in the tower uh sorry i almost got you killed when but (laughs) now you learned some lessons about sazed twice you told her to stay behind but she ain't want to listen but yeah i feel like this was the wrong way to teach that lesson though (laughs) i'm not a parent but I, mean, I feel like I, that I'm, was the I'm wrong a parent. Way. I'm a parent. I have had two children that have gone through uh, their teenage years, and I've got three more waiting in the wings. Um, yeah, sometimes you don't want them to almost get killed, but sometimes you just got to let them say, okay, you know what? I've told you. <laughs> you're at a certain time. If you get knocked out, you get knocked out. And you have That's to pick yourself you. up and, and, and go from there. You know, I now. You know, they're different because I wasn't teaching no superpowers to none of my kids. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. That, that's, that's a strong possibility. And and I, th- and I think the being misborn part plays such a huge part because uh, he already had an ego. Uh, yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when you're when you're one of, you know, you're this elite 1% of super people um, and you're trying to galvanize an army you're having problems with recruiting yeah and you're like one of the best at what you do you're probably going to set yourself up as you know as as the jesus figure it's it's just it's it's expected and the temptation especially when you're already uh you know egocentric you know bordering on megalomania yeah it's gonna happen Yet he was well, still I mean, good even... enough to sacrifice himself and plan for it. <laughs> well, right? you, you, would, you wouldn't. The, yeah. but, but when you set yourself up as a Jesus figure, you have to factor that's going to happen. In that's a world right. with without a Jesus to pattern that off of, though. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But there's 400 and something you know religions that Sazed knows that's got to sure have one. <laughs> one of them, maybe Christianity made it in there. Yeah. Right. I kept waiting I, it's, it's for some so like, like known religion to pop up. Like I kept waiting to see, like, are we in the history of this story? Like, are we several thousand years previous to this? And Christianity or Mormonism or whatever is going to pop up? So far, no. no but no. I don't think. Totally I don't world. think. Yeah, I don't think Sanderson has attached his cause mirror at all to Earth. Or he like hasn't. our world, he yeah. Hasn't, no. Um. So his whole like he literally made this whole like. It's called the Cosmere. It's like a system of worlds, and this our world is not in that system. Yeah. At all. Yeah. yeah that would have been helpful to know because I just kept being like, "Oh, is this future us?" <laughs> oh yeah. Here? There's there's the Cosmere that is Sanderson, <laughs> and then there's the non Cosmere stuff. Which has so like reckoners. It's mm-hmm. it's a dystopia in the United States. Like that's tied yeah. to us. Uh, Skyward and Starsight. Like those are futuristic versions of this world. 
Okay. Maybe and all the Cosmere stuff is, first. is like complete separate, complete separate universe yep. kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But I will say but, like, I really appreciate how much Sanderson hangs on religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that a lot of fantasy authors tend to shy away from um, because the following or the fandom for fantasy novels tends to be pretty atheistic or antagonistic towards religion. Um, And so to have a prominent fantasy writer who is popular and well-liked hangs so much on religion um, in this series and in other series that he's written, um, it really speaks to me because I think that fantasy is one of the places where our society interacts with the supernatural in a way that you can't really talk about in in just normal conversation, right? We've become so scientific and atheistic in our society that to bring up something supernatural outside of the realm of, you know, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, Narnia, um, or other fantasy works that are popular, people just kind of laugh you off. But if you can talk to them about magic in a, in a book, you can at least open up the imagination to something greater than what is physically seen, um, which is yeah. one of the things that I think we're missing in our society. It's like what I want to write my dissertation on if I ever do go get my PhD. So like I could go on and on about it, but I think Sanderson does a great job of like, not just writing supernatural magic into his system. Sanderson does some great magic systems, but he always ties a religion around it too, because he, I think he, as he is a pretty devout Mormon. So he understands that the supernatural goes hand in hand with some kind of religious expression. Um, whether well, that's that, the steel ministry or whatever. If, well, if, I mean, if if you are like any student of human history, people mm-hmm. like religion is a part of all human history. All stories, mm-hmm. all people groups, in some way, create a theology behind what they believe and how the world works. And so, it wouldn't make sense to build a world in which it, there were no religion if you were really going to build a thorough world. Exactly. I I think one of the reasons why he is such a good world builder is because he incorporates religion because religion, all like the religions have had such an impact on human history in one way or another. Like um, if even if you think about Greek mythology, like how much it's impacted culture today, um, it's it's unrealistic to take it all out. so, so by many, including religion, it it almost give, it gives it more of that real feeling. Yeah, mm-hmm. but so many fantasy authors right now are trying to remove the religious aspect from the supernatural. Like mm-hmm. they'll throw in a supernatural component, but there won't be this, like there won't be a religion attached to it, or it doesn't. It just feels much it's a more different science. Basically. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's science, which you know to be fair, allomancy is science. It's physics. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I was like sitting there just listening to him talk about push and pull. And I'm just like, you know, I could use this in my physics classes if I could actually <laughs> read this book. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like the steel ministry and more so in some of his more his other works, but in like Church of the Survivor, the steel ministry, the religions that pull come out of the society are so like integral to the story 
um, is such a huge part in how he progresses certain parts of his story that I just really appreciate it. I thought it was crazy that Sazed didn't know, you know, the religion of the terrorist man, like his own people. Like, that's the one thing that was lost was like their own religion. He knows all these others, but not the one that's native to who he is, what his people are. Well, that just shows how viciously the Lord Ruler, like, purge the Terrasmen right afterwards. Yeah. And it's a different kind of unique cruelty to remove a person's story from this. On the topic of religion uh, in this book, um, Freemaker from Discord uh, also had this comment. I have to also say that I found myself angry at this book because I fell for these characters so hard, only for Kelsier's climactic scene to reflect the Mormon theology of the author in his Aslan moment. Uh, While understandable as it fits into the worldview of the author, it was several weeks before I could pick up the second book in the series. Um, John and I talked about this and Aaron a little bit uh, before... Uh, before we started recording, um, you can see, uh, I think, and again, I hate to attribute intent, but you can see, I think, some of Sanderson's uh, Mormon worldview reflected in some of his books. So if that bothers you, it gets stronger, I think, through the rest of the the Mistborn series. But I think it still is an excellent fantasy series, and I don't have to agree with Mormonism to still appreciate it as a mm-hmm. story. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I just don't know enough about Mormonism because I had a hard time like pegging down a specific religion. I wondered throughout the whole thing, like how informed this book would be by his faith, because I would have a hard time writing a book that wasn't informed by my faith. Like if it's a part of who you are and your worldview. Um, But he, I, I felt like most of the book for me, felt all over the place with that. Like there were so many different thoughts on religion and um, people's paths and faith uh, that I felt like he wasn't super on the nose about his religion. But I guess like I could interpret the ending that way upon reflection. I just wasn't thinking that at the time. I was too wrapped up in what was going on. He does have a very, very Christian very, you know, Christian ending with the Messiah figure and the death and, and quote, resurrection and the galvanization. Mm-hmm. And the, it's all there. It's just mm-hmm. the the stuff before it and the stuff that comes after it um, don't necessarily hang on that moment a whole lot mm-hmm. other than mm-hmm. so. Yeah. And and I will say that Kelsier kind of has like a, a ghostly resurrection, but I really love that um, his brother Marsh basically has, for the purposes of the story, like a true resurrection. Um, everyone believed he was dead and was not expecting him to come back, and he shows up and absolutely saves the day. Um, so that's almost, even Gosh, though it Marsh. was after Kelsier's death, it was almost like a like a true reconciliation of the two brothers i feel like in that moment that i also felt like marsh's sacrifice almost seemed greater like what he did and what he went through mm-hmm. felt to me bigger I don't and know. especially because he's he's never going to get any of the the applause and the the yeah, fame it was yeah because everybody's gonna look at him with horror for mm-hmm. the rest of his life because of what he did just mm-hmm. i mean just his how he looks 
And I'm not going to lie. I want to know more about the Inquisitor process. Read like, and find out. Please. Oh, really? Okay, there's out. more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just read so and find you out. Just, you just don't know how much more you're going to like find out about specific things. Well, oh. if if Sanderson can be relied upon any for anything, it's to explain the way his world works. That's true. <laughs> That's yes. fair. That is fair. Speaking Every- of... <laughs> Alamancy, <laughs> fair chemi, like, <laughs> but you know, world building, man, Sanderson and his world building. You know, you've got your Alamancy with the eight basic metal. Is it eight, ten basic metals? Ten. Ten with ten. the eight that are paired. You have the internal, external, physical, and emotional. And then you have the two god metals. You have gold and ATM. Yes. Well, wouldn't it tech? Because isn't <coughs> that one the 11th metal? Okay, there's the 11th metal. So wouldn't there technically be 12? Oh, yes. honey. And sure. they do talk about that a <laughs> tiny bit at the very end of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, okay, like- John, I'm going off of literally just this book. I'm like, oh. So based on this book, <laughs> yes. there, is, there is 12 there's- medals in my mind. That yes, ends- that, that would make complete sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you don't really tell you which medal the 11th medal is. No. And, and so they there don't- could be 14. Because it could be an alloy of a different metal that's not ATM or gold. And yes. so then it would have a pairing. And then ATM and gold would have their own pairing. And so you could have 14. Though I think, didn't they pair it with gold? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in this book, Vin thinks it's paired with gold because gold shows you your, right, the shadows. your past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the 11th metal shows you someone else's mm-hmm. past. So. But I just love it. I just love the pairing. I love the the completeness of it. it the internal, external, the way that the powers work and interface with one another, the way that Marsh explains using bronze and like mm. just the 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 rhythms, like oh Sanderson and his music. Uh just um the rhythm, the rhythmic and the pulsing and the various the tempos and the and the different like patterns and just he's gets so detailed and he ties all of these things together when in science they're all kind of tied together too right like the idea of like um sound and energy and all of that like because it's all just a playoff of types of energy um whether that's cognitive energy or physical energy um and so like i just i don't know it just uh i could go on and on and on about this <laughs> but i really appreciate alamancy as as a world system and then fair cami just is so balanced right mm-hmm. like because you have to give in order to have um so which they don't give a whole lot about fair cami in in the final empire um per se but they give enough i don't know it's it's pretty good mm-hmm. especially yeah. like towards the end yeah. when um, you kind of get more of Sezid's, like you actually see him use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of with the final um, showdown with the Emperor, one thing I kind of, so I've got, so on it <laughs> with the fear for me, Al- Al- um, thing, part of, and this is, I'm just going into theories. Like what made me think is like, kind of wondering if Vin's mother is like from Terrace and her, she and like thinking that maybe she could use both as well um and kind of wondering if 
like this is thoughts that kind of have come from this book is is just kind of like that um because they have been so controlled and not letting them mix kind of wondering what it looks like because i mean you don't really get very much from the lord emperor using both he does a little bit but it's i mean it's just the one fight so it, it'd be interesting to see what it looks like um, if Vin can use both of them, what that looks like in the future. Um, and kind of what it looks like for the future of the balance of power between, um, like, in society uh, with the mixing and the possible um, bringing back of Fierakimi. Um, how about you need to keep reading (laughs) i was like um i will say i will say so there's this mistborn series there's a trilogy that is the first age of mistborn and then Mm -hmm. there's the second trilogy it's the second age of mistborn that happens like several hundred years after the ending of the first age Mm -hmm. um and a lot of those questions technology yeah it's like it's like western Steampunk. (laughs) steampunk yeah and so it's i would I recommend both. They're wonderful. I think those kinds of questions will definitely drive you more towards the second age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you'll still Honestly, get Honestly, I think the first time I read Mistborn, the only reason why I started it was because I was more interested in the second series. And uh, <laughs> Brandon, my husband, he he was like, now nah, you got to read the first ones first. Yeah. And I got to the it end helps. of the first book and then got super bored by the beginning of the second one. Which is not fair. gonna lie, it wasn't in a very I wasn't in a very good place mentally as far as being able to read at the time. So I think I'll have a better look this time. But so I just kind of petered out, <laughs> which is why I haven't read the rest of it. Anything else um, about the book you'd like to mention? Otherwise, we'll we'll wrap up and say bye. Honestly, we probably should wrap up and say bye before we get on another tangent and spend like another half an hour talking. Well, we've got 13 minutes left. That's true. That's true. I feel like we've, 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 I feel, I feel good. And that's to say like, this is, Mm -hmm. you know, Sanderson is like my favorite author. I feel like we've done this book justice. I'm happy. Okay, good. So. Good. I was, I was afraid you were going to be like. Should have kept going for two hours. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're at a good stopping point, I think. All right. If you have thoughts on the book we're discussing that we might read on air or books that you'd like to suggest for us to read, you can drop me a line at Madeline at lovethiner.com or you can find me on Twitter at mad underscore seed. I'm in the uh, LTN Discord. I'm in the LTN Facebook community. Uh, I'm not on Instagram, but otherwise you can basically find me anywhere that Love Thy Nerd is. Uh, lovely people, introduce yourselves. And if you have social media that you want people to follow you at, list it as well. Um, I'm, again, I'm Katie, and my Twitter is at KRR Tejador, which is T E J E D O R. Um, I'm also in the LTN Discord and um, part of the LTN Facebook group. So I can, I can be found there as well. And I'm John Campo Verde. You can find me on Twitter as jcamp underscore over underscore day. Um, like C-A-M-P underscore O-V-E-R underscore D-A-Y. You can also find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Alenton, A-L-L-E-N-T-I-O-N. Um, that's my name 
in the LTN Discord server, which I definitely recommend you join because we have lots of fun conversations in there, especially about different uh, TV series that you might want to talk about. <laughs> and um, I'm in the community. I'm pretty much everywhere that Facebook, that LTN is. Um, I'm there hanging out. So I'd love to hear from you. And I am Matt Williams. You can find me virtually everywhere LTN is as well. You can find me on Twitter at underscore rocking Mr. Magic. That's the word rocking slash off the G M R for Mr. And then M A G I C. Um, I'm also rocking Mr. Magic on Xbox and rocking Mr. Magic in discord and on Twitch. So you can find me pretty much everywhere as including Facebook at rocking Mr. Magic. And I'm Erin Warmbier, and I don't have a lot of social medias. I'm mostly on Facebook. <laughs> um, I, I am a Discord. I'm on the LTN Discord server um, occasionally. And I like to play games with my husband on uh, LTN's Twitch channel on Saturday evening. So catch you there great watch great co-optional y'all do it <laughs> you will not be disappointed oh, ever you guys. it's like the one program my wife actually watches on twitch so, high praise. <laughs> she's like i gotta watch matt and aaron play whatever game they're playing because it's so always cute. fun so oh, it's so fun i get angry when he cancels i'm always like <laughs> cancel date night sheesh yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll have to talk to my to my, my uh, LTN twin, make sure he stops canceling date night on you. Uh, you can be sure to check out all of the podcasts on the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network and also on LTN Radio. Woot woot. Uh, Polis Podcast is a bi weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith, how they affect culture at large, uh, hosted by Chris Poirier and Hector Mirai. The Humans of Gaming podcast is a weekly show about video games and board games that features open and honest conversations about games, life, and belief, hosted by Drew Dixon and Chris Gwaltney. Free Play is a weekly show about any and all things nerd, where you feel more like a participant and less like a rando on a message board, hosted by Kate Katawaki, Bubba Stalkup, and Matt Warmbier. Did I say that right, Aaron? I feel like I keep saying it different every time. Warm beer. Okay. Yeah. Great. Excellent. <laughs> Church Nerds is hosted by Anna and Bubba Stallcup. This is a special morning show each Friday that combines their church cred and their nerd cred to show you just how well these two ways of life come together. Two Words is a wrestling podcast for fans and by fans in the newest addition to the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. This is hosted by John Berkeley and Matt Coker. Also be sure to connect with us on all your social media platforms. Just search Love Thy Nerd or find links on our website, lovethynerd.com. This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.